So we're going to talk about the resurrection today. The clue is on that big screen behind me, okay? Just in case you hadn't noticed that big sign behind me. And the resurrection point is a turning point in history. Probably one of the greatest events that has ever happened in history. Jesus of Nazareth, the Jewish carpenter, the Jewish Messiah. He was born, he lived, and he died. Big deal. We all are born, we all live, and we all die. But there was something different about Jesus. Because when he was born, it was a miraculous birth. But how do we know that? Well, we know that because the Bible tells us. But nobody really saw that. Nobody witnessed that. People witnessed his life. They knew that Jesus, as he grew, it talks about in the Bible how he grew in stature. He grew up physically. He grew up in favor with God and with men. But when it comes to the resurrection, people saw this happen. And that's what is incredible about this story. C.S. Lewis, he said this, the first fact in the history of Christendom, which is all that is to do with uh, Christianity and Christ, is a number of people who say they have seen the resurrection. If they had died without making anyone else believe this gospel, no gospels would have ever been written. Imagine that. If these people who had been witnesses to the resurrection had never convinced anybody else, then we wouldn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We wouldn't have the book of Acts. We could go all through the New Testament. We wouldn't have any of these books. And it was this resurrection message that resonated in the ears of the people of that day. Jews, Greeks, Romans, slaves, free men, women, children, commanders of armies, priests, and pagans alike. And this message carried power. The same resurrection power is the same power that is at work in the church today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Okay, a few people are starting to kind of warm up to that idea. The same resurrection power is at work in the church today. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that is at work in us. That's an incredible reality. And I pray that we see more of that power at work. And it's really, really interesting at the very point where Jews and Romans could have contested the resurrection of Jesus, every voice was silent. Nobody contested the resurrection. We'll think about that in a little minute. Instead, what did they do? They resorted to violence to try and suppress this rebellion as they saw it, this Christian rebellion. They couldn't speak against it, so they tried to destroy it. And that's where it all began. The church was born. And John Lennox, he wrote an interesting little article uh, called Can a Scientist Believe in the Resurrection? John Lennox, mathematician, uh, very, very clever man, but somebody who believes passionately in the gospel. And he says, Christianity won its way by dint of sheer weight of evidence that one man had actually risen from the dead. Incredible. People say that scientists can't possibly believe in the resurrection. Uh -uh. Wrong answer. That's a scientist's view on this, and many, many scientists beside. 
And the resurrection was such a key message that the Jewish authorities tried their hardest to make sure that there was a cover-up and that this didn't happen. Jesus rising on the third day, that can't happen. We can't, we just can't have that happening. And this is what it says in Matthew 27. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate and sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. Interesting that the Jewish leaders knew that and the disciples didn't. They're like, this is it. It's all finished. They ran away. It's finished. Not in a good way. After three days, he will rise again. Verse 64. So, uh, give the orders for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate was a person who liked to please the people, and so he allowed them to have their way. And this is what it says, verse 65. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. But here's the thing. None of this made a difference to God's plans. Nothing could make a difference to God's plans. They tried to cover it up. They tried to hush up the story, but they were unable to do that. See, the resurrection still is a fundamental doctrine of the church. Something that was believed in and preached in in the early church and is still believed in and preached in in the church now. And the resurrection accounts form an integral part of each of the four Gospels. I'm going to put a slide up on the screen. <coughs> you can see the four Gospels, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John chapter 20. Matthew's writing to Jewish people. Mark is writing for the persecuted church. Luke is writing to a man called Theophilus. We know that because we've been going through the book of Acts. Hopefully everybody's... And, and John is writing for Christians in uh, Asia, which is now uh, Turkey. And in the account of Matthew, we read, this is what we read. We read, the, I've just summarized the kind of highlights, that it was early in the morning, it was Sunday, that the women went to the tomb first. And in verse 6, we read that the angel said to the women, he is not here, he has risen just as he said. Incredible words. Go and tell the disciples. And the risen Christ, the risen Christ appeared to them. And then the guards went with a report to say what had happened. And then there was an attempted cover-up. Matthew's writing to Jewish people, remember. They need to know that the Jewish leaders tried to cover this up. Mark chapter 16. It was early. It was Sunday morning. The women went first. And on their way, they thought, this stone is going to be a problem. You see, they already knew where he was buried, and they knew that the stone had been rolled in front of the tomb. And as they're going, they're anticipating this problem, and yet when they get to the tomb, the stone is rolled away, and they meet an angel. And in verse 6, we realize that the angel said, he has risen, he is not here. Tell the disciples. And we read about how they're filled with fear. We read about how Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the two on the road to Emmaus, and then to the eleven. In the Gospel of Luke, 
we read that it was early in the morning. It was a Sunday. The women were there first. The stone had been rolled away. They met angels. They were filled with fear. And verse 6 says, He is not here. He has risen. I thought it was really interesting in all of the synoptic gospels, that declaration is made in verse 6. I'd never noticed that before. Incredible. The angel said, He is not here. He is risen. They went and they told the disciples. And in verse 11, we read that they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. I'm inclined to make a wee joke there, but maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> they didn't believe the women's testimony. We were chatting about this in the kitchen, weren't we, Daniel, on Friday night, about how in all of those four accounts, because the fourth one's already up, I'm giving my secrets away. In all of those four accounts, the women were first there. The women were the first to witness the resurrection. And a woman's testimony wasn't trusted in those days. If you wanted to go to court, you didn't have a woman as a witness because you didn't trust. And it kind of makes you think, if you were writing a gospel, would you not have Peter and John going to the tomb and them being the first witnesses? And they come back and they convince everybody else. Would you have people saying, that's a load of nonsense, that hasn't happened? You probably wouldn't write things like that because you're trying to convince your audience. But here, the gospel writers are presenting things as they happened. They actually had to check it out for themselves. Peter ran to the tomb and he saw the grave clothes. John chapter 20, verses 1 through to 18. It was early in the morning. I think sunup in Jerusalem was just after six this morning. Was anybody up at just after six this morning? one or two people thinking about the resurrection. These women thinking we need to go and we need to prepare this body. We need to bring these spaces. When they arrive there, the stone is rolled away and they, 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 they had to go and tell the disciples. Peter and John ran to the empty tomb. John looked in. Peter went in. And they saw the linen cloths, the burial cloth folded. They met angels and Mary met the risen Christ, who in verse 16 said, Jesus, uh, Jesus, said, Jesus said to her, Mary. At that point in time, she realizes who she's speaking to. She thought it was the gardener, and she goes, oh, it's Jesus. He's risen. We need to go and tell the disciples. We need to tell other people. This story, this resurrection story, forms an integral part of the Gospels, and it also forms an integral part of the teaching of the apostles in Acts. We've been through the book of Acts over the last couple of months. The two principal characters are Peter at the start of the book and Paul at the end of the book. And as I read through Acts, I find over 21, 21 direct references. There's maybe more that I've missed in the book of Acts, and they're going to come up on the screen and if you want to take notes, that's fine. If you don't, I'll give you a wee handout with all the verses on it. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 24. And we go through all these books, all these chapters, should I say, in Acts, and we find time and time again, as they're telling people about what's happened, there's references 
to the resurrection. It is the key message. It's not the only message, but it's the one that is presented in each occasion where the apostles are sharing about what has happened. Jesus died, but he rose again. One example of that, let me read one of them, Acts 13, 30 to 31. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And this message, this resurrection message, is what carried such power. We can only imagine what it must have been like to live in those days and to witness those things for ourselves. People who had seen Jesus. They had seen him being crucified, but then they saw him raised to life again. And here's the thing. This message changed their lives. And this message is still changing lives today. Because he lives, we have hope for tomorrow. And I, I just wanted to share a story today. It's not my story. I could share my story, but you've, you've all heard my story probably too many times. I want to share somebody else's story today. It's a young guy from the Northeast. His name is Daniel Cox, and he tells his story on this video. And if I want you to hear anything from this, I want you to hear that God has the power to change your life you might not believe that God can change your life, but God has the power today to change your life, to take the things that are in your life that you're not happy with and to deal with them and to turn them around. And so I want us to listen just for five minutes to Daniel's story uh, as he tells it, and then we're uh, almost kind of finished after that. So let's listen to, to Daniel's story. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that's probably true in my life. I had a great time when I was going out, I was playing the balls, it was magic. And then I think you come to a point far, things just start to feel really empty. And I tried everything that the world's got to offer. And the more I tried, the emptier I became. Living life. Empty, the hope is never going to live. My mum and dad both went to church. I got sent to every club that was on the go, every boys' brigade, I went to school. So when I was 18, I'd been going to the same youth group for maybe six or seven years. All my friends were there, and it was just magic. But then, as so commonly happens at age, people start going out, going out clubbing, and just I started having with my friends and Christianity in your relationship with Jesus only works if it's a two-way thing. And I got to the point then when I was never really reading the Bible, I was never really enthused as a Christian and I'd stopped praying. So probably my heart was quite hard and I thought, nah, my friends are having a much better time than me and I really miss them. So I just decided, nah, I'm going to just go and enjoy them. Things were really good, but I just this overwhelming feeling that I was lost. I remember I spoke to him in the bar and we were driving to a gig in Glasgow. 
I'm just thinking, there has to be a God. I've seen all the hells in Scotland and it was just a crappy game, but there's no way this earth was created by accident. And there has to be a God. And then that takes me back to everything I'd been taught in Sunday school. And I knew that if there is a God, then that we are lost and that we need a saviour. And at that point, I really started to think, man, I need to get my life right with God. But I would come so close. I'd always come so close, and then someone would happen, and then it would just derail me, and I thought, nah, nah, I will sort my life out, but not right now. And I remember, I would be on nights out, and I got, I came to the point where I would be on a night out, and all I wanted to do was speak to people, and I'd be like, do you think God's real? And I really believe it. few events happened in my life that just left me kind of on knees and I knew I needed Jesus in my life and this one Saturday night was with one of my friends and he was just saying come on it's time to get your life right again so I remember we were on Cruda Bay Beach and I remember that night I just prayed to God and I said God I know you're real I'm sorry for the life I've lived this past few years and as I was on that beach this rush of peace came upon my life like I've never ever felt. And my life was better than anything I'd experienced in the world. And I knew at that point that I'd made the right decision, that there was only one meaning in this life, and that was Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, it speaks about these two guys for building houses. And one of the guys built his house on sand. And one of the guys built his house on the rock. And I've tried both. I built a house in the sand for a few years. And my life was just empty. And it's as if it was washed away. And then later when I decided to build my life on the rock, Jesus, it's solid, it's sure. It's all my life for that. When I was 16, I left school. No idea what I was going to do in my life. I had dreams, and now I have a secure job to be in a church that I absolutely love. To have a wife that is so much better than I desired. I'm in a band that I love being in, and God's just opened up so many doors for us. Life is just so good. If I truly believed that after this life there was heaven and a hell, I knew where I wanted to go. So then I had to ask myself, what do I need to do to get out? And I think there's so many people who are just putting it to the back of their mind, thinking that maybe when they're older, they'll maybe sort themselves out with God. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. We're not promised tomorrow. The life that God can give you is better than any life that you can try and work out for yourself. I know the meaning of that life, and it's Jesus. Incredible story. I just I found that so moving when I heard that for the first time. Um, I, and I think there's a reason for us listening to that story today because some people in here today need to hear that story. The reason you're here today is to hear that story. The reason you're here today is to understand what he said. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. 
And there are people in here today who know that to be true. But he also said, I know the meaning of life, and it is Jesus. You see, the reality for us all is that we all face an uncertain future in one sense. We don't know what's ahead of us. None of us know what tomorrow holds. None of us. But the one thing that we can know is that Jesus can walk into that future with us. The one thing that we can know is that because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, I can have hope in my heart. Because He lives, I can keep getting up in the morning and putting one foot in front of the other. And it might be at this point in time, all I can do is take a day at a time because there are things happening, and maybe there are things happening in your life, and you don't feel in control of those things. And all you can do is take it a day at a time. Jesus can come into that experience, and He can walk with you through the experience. The Bible says, and uh, this was quoted in our church just recently, that the wages of sin is death. There's another part to that. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, in order for there to be a resurrection, there needs to be a death. Unless there's death, there can't be a resurrection. Unless Jesus himself had died, how could he ever have risen from the grave? He had to die first. Each of us have a finite number of days on the planet, and when we get to the end of those days our bodies will die. But Jesus says that the gift of God is eternal life. The Bible talks about how this, even this body, as it is put to rest, will be resurrected. Incredible. There's another death, though, that we need to consider, and that's the death to ourselves, the death to our desires, our willfulness, the things that make us compete against each other, wanting our own way. And we need to die to those things day by day. The Bible talks about crucifying the old nature. And Daniel said there that if there's a heaven and a hell, and he believes there is and I believe there is as well, that if we want to get to heaven, the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. We read that in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, I don't know about you, but for some, maybe you've grown up in church, and, and for you, uh, becoming a Christian was all about fire insurance, right? <laughs> But Jesus is not here to give us third-party fire and theft, okay? That's not why He's here. He's not even here to insure us. Jesus is here to give us life assurance. Life assurance. You see, the core message of the Gospels isn't the avoidance of hell, but that's part of the message. It's about receiving life. Assurance is a positive declaration intended to give confidence. It is a promise. Because He lives, you also can live. 
And it's not just talking about what happens after you die. It's talking about the life that God wants to give us now. See, the resurrection offers us hope of a new life, and that new life can start today. Maybe you have never made a decision to become a Christian before. Maybe you've never been there before. Maybe you've never come before God and said, like Daniel, you know, I've just, I've messed up, and I need you to come in and sort me out. Maybe you've never done that. Well, today, I'm going to give you an opportunity, opportunity to do that. Maybe you have done that before, and you've come before God, and you say, I've, I've messed up. I need you to come into my life. I need you to forgive me. I need you to help me to walk in this Christian life and, and to be the person that you call me to be. You're going to get an opportunity to do that. See, the Bible teaches us that one day there's coming a day when there will be a resurrection, when the dead in Christ will rise. That resurrection life we experience in part in our physical bodies. Sometimes God, by His grace, comes and does things and He heals us and does miracles. But we know that there'll become a day where He'll give us power to be transformed into newness of life. 1 Corinthians 15, read it, it's an incredible passage. It's all about the resurrection. And in that, Paul is saying to the people that he's speaking to, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, then none of this matters. And let me tell you, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then none of this really matters. We'd be better off doing the Pokemon estate, going for a walk today, right? Enjoying the sunshine. If, none of the, if Jesus didn't rise, then none of this matters. But if Jesus did rise, then it matters for everybody. All seven and a half billion people on the planet, it matters for everybody. Because if Jesus died and rose again, then that affects us all. And this is what 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 15 says. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. The Christian has a hope that goes beyond even the life that we experience in this body. And we can say today with assurance, in the same way that Paul said when he wrote these words, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of all who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, that is Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man also, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Incredible words. And as we draw to a close today, it's the fact of the resurrection that gives us hope. Listen to what Peter says. We read about Peter in the start of the book of Acts. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has given us new birth. I remember as a young person, when we were talking about what it meant to be a Christian, you would use the term, I'm born again. And everybody would start laughing. Hey, oh, you're one of those, those kinds. 
I'm born again. Well, it's a fact. Because the Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But when Jesus comes into life, something happens. There's a new birth takes place inside of us. Something happens inside that we can't explain. And as Daniel got himself sorted out, I was really moved when I heard he's sitting on the beach. And as he's sitting on that beach and giving himself to God, he says, there was this rush of peace that came upon me. The Bible talks about a peace that goes beyond understanding. And that peace was what came upon him. And that peace can come upon you today. I said I was going to give you an invitation to respond today. If you've never made a decision to become a Christian, to ask God into your life, then today is the day. Daniel said in his testimony there, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow holds. None of us. Today's the day to get our lives sorted out and right with God because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day. And maybe, maybe you have made that decision at some point in your life and like Daniel, you've drifted away from the truth. You've drifted away from the, the plans that God has for you. Then today's the day to really come back to God and to give yourself to Him again. And so I'm going to ask that we just bow our heads and we close our eyes and we're going to pray and I just want to, to allow time for this word to really sink into our hearts and to respond to what God wants to say and do today. Jesus has come that we might have life in all its fullness. The Bible says in John 10, 10, that the thief, talking about the devil, he comes to steal from you. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy your life. But Jesus has come that you might have life in all its fullness, an abundant life. doesn't mean to say it's always going to be easy because we face hardships and difficulties in our bodies, in our minds. And life can be tough sometimes. But He promises to be with us every step of the way through the tough times. And this morning, just as we finish off, if you have never made a decision to allow God into your life, then I'm going to ask that you just stick up your hand and we'll pray for you. We've got some booklets that we want to give you at the end of the service. We'll pray for you today. And if, if that's you, if you've never made that decision to ask Jesus into your heart, to ask him to forgive you for all the, the stuff of life, the bad stuff, and to, to give you that new life, and you're in that place today, then just stick up your hand and we'll pray for you. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? Maybe you have never, uh, maybe, maybe you've been on a bit of a journey and, you know, for those who have stuck their hands up, please put them back down. Uh, maybe, maybe you have been in a, a, a dark place, a bad place in your life. You've wandered away from God. You've wandered away from faith. You, you've tried to do things in your own understanding and in your own strength. And, and God wants to just, the picture I have uh, this morning is that God has just got his arms open and he just wants to receive you. He wants to, to bring you back in. He wants to just put his arms around you and to welcome you. 
that's just the picture I have of, of God's love for you this morning, that He wants to, to bring you back into this life that He has planned for you and, and shown you, and he, he, he just wants to welcome you into that. And He just wants to, to, to just kind of sort you out and to, to put new clothes on you and to get you uh, right before Him. And if that's you today, then I'm going to ask that you just stick up your hand and we'll pray for you. Anybody else this morning? Okay, let's pray. And let's pray believing this morning, folks. Let's pray as God wants us to pray, from our hearts and believing. And I'm going to say a prayer, and if you stuck your hand up first time round, and even if you didn't, you're still welcome to pray this prayer, and just to ask God into your heart. The Bible says that when we give our lives to God, when we surrender to Him, that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and He, he just wants to live in us and help us to live as He plans. And so I'm going to say a prayer, and just in, in the quietness of your own heart, just you repeat that prayer. And if you pray this prayer this morning and the, you really mean it with all your heart, then God really wants to do business with you and come into your heart this morning, particularly for those who put their hands up first time round. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that Jesus came to this earth to live, to die, to take upon himself my sin. I thank you that he rose on the third day, that he lives, and that he wants to live in me. Father, I confess my sins before you. I recognize I've got it wrong, but I recognize that you want to give me a new life. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would come in to my heart and strengthen me and help me to live the way that you plan. In Jesus' name, amen. For those who are in the second group, who raised their hands, who feel that they just need to get back into that relationship with God again. I just want to remind you of the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son had made his decisions. He'd went off and he's lived, lived his life in his own way. And he'd squandered his inheritance. He'd squandered his father's money. And he was in a really bad place, but he decided to go back to his father. And the Bible says Jesus tells this story to illustrate a point that the father was watching for him and he saw him coming from a distance and he ran to meet his son and he met his son and greeted him and put his arms around him. And that's what God wants to do with you today. For those who have been far away from God, I encourage you just to run, uh, not physically, but in your heart, to just face towards God and to run towards God and to really reach out your heart and reach out your whole being uh, just to meet with God this morning. And Father, we just pray for those who have been far from you, Lord, that they would experience your power and your presence in this place today. 
Father, that you would come through your Holy Spirit. Father, that you would come and that you would wash every heart clean. Father, that you would do a work. Father, just as we, uh, as we can uh, wash our hands that have been uh, dirtied and, and, and the, the grime of life in the day, maybe we've been in the garden, and we just see that, that dirt washing off our hands as we, as we wash our hands with the soap in the sink, that lovely white sink just turns uh, to an awful color as, 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 the, as, as the muck gets washed off of us. Father, in the same way that you would come and that you would just wash us and make us clean today. And Father, for every hand that went up, for every heart that responded today, Father, we pray that you bring a release. Father, we pray that you bring newness of life. Father, we pray that you bring healing, that you bring wholeness. Father, that you bring your presence. Holy Spirit, come and move in this moment and touch every heart, touch every life for every person that responded this morning. Father, we pray that you would touch hearts and lives. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place today. Father, we thank you that you are interested in every aspect of our lives, and we pray that you'd help us to walk and the power that you give us. Jesus is alive. And we thank you for that power that raised him from the dead. And Lord, we recognize that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that works in us and lives in us and accomplishes the life of God in us. Father, we can't do that in our own strength, but Lord, we come and we just give ourselves to you. And we ask that you would fill us to overflowing with your spirit. Father, that as we worship you and as we come to worship you in just a minute, Father, that you would do something in our hearts, even as we worship you, Father. Lord, that there would be something happen deep within the very deepest part of us, Lord, that would just come alive and be awake to the things of God in our lives. We thank you for this day. We thank you for every person who's here, for every family that's represented. We pray your blessing upon households, upon families, upon those who don't know you yet. Father, that you would continue to draw them to yourself, that they would enter into a relationship with you. Father, our loved ones that we're praying for, our friends, our neighbors, our work colleagues that we're praying for, Lord, we pray that you do a work in their hearts and lives today. And Father, we just pray that you would help us to just bring glory to Jesus in all that is said and done in our lives and in this church. Lord, we pray that you would receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.